Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to harvestwarrensburg.com. Well, Jesus, we just thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that that you are kind, your loving kindness endures forever. And Jesus, we just, we are so incredibly, yeah, humbled by your grace and your mercy to us, God. We're humbled by your faithfulness. We don't deserve it. And Jesus, we just, yeah, we just take some time to delight in you. You're so beautiful and you're so good to us, God. You've turned our mourning into dancing. God, the things that have brought heartache and pain in our lives, you have let us see the beauty of. You have let it, you've worked things out for our good. And Jesus, we are so thankful for you. And we delight in your beauty. We delight in the fact that you came and you lived a sinless life as a human so that you could die for us in our place so that we could be united with you, so that you could come and dwell deep inside of our hearts, God. And then you empower us to walk with you and like you. You've done everything, God. We're completely dependent on you. And we are so just awed by your majesty, God. Yeah, in Jesus' name. So I get the privilege of kind of starting out our, our Christmas series this, this season. And um, yeah, I had, this, I had this picture during worship last week, not knowing that I was going to be up here this week. And, um, and I felt like the Lord had, had laid something in my heart. So I'm going to kind of blend a little bit together, I think. But I'm going to start off with just, just telling you a little, a little bit of a story. So I am, I'm a second generation Christian, which just means that my parents did not grow up with Christian parents. And so, um, so, but what I remember when I, when I was little, like some of the things looking back, I remember some of my favorite times was sitting on like my parents' bed and at night and we would sit, like my two sisters and my mom and dad, and we would sit on the big, huge bed, and my dad would have the Bible out, and he would read to us, and then he would begin to just pray over us, and we would each pray, like all of us would pray, and, um, but he would pray over us, and then he would begin to, like I'm four, five, I, like as little as I can remember sitting there, I could feel the presence of God, like I loved those times, they were so beautiful, and like he would begin to pray over us and, and pray for us. And he, he would pray for our spouses. You know, I'm four and five years old. He would begin to pray that God would protect them and keep them and draw them to them. And, and I, I never knew, I never understood why he would be praying for my husband when I was four and five years old. You know, but God knew that Sean needed it, right? I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean that in like, like, we need, we need people praying for us, right? Like, we are who we are today because of people, right? And, and many of you guys have heard, like, Sean even shared some of his testimonies. Like, he's shared some of that stuff. And, and he didn't grow up knowing the Lord, you know? And so he needed the prayers of people to come in and to buffer him and to keep him in a safe place. You know, I remember my dad um, started building 
um, a very large section of our house when I was when I was five, actually, and um, and he would he didn't remember things really well, and so when we would go to church, he would take a tape recorder. Yes, for those of you who are older than thirty, um, that's a machine that was about like this. He would put big fat batteries in it, and then he would put a tape. It was like a square object like this. Okay, into it, and he would record it, and it was a terrible recording, but he would record the worship, and then when he'd come home, he would play the worship while we worked on our house, and so we would have this terrible recording of our worship sets so that we could remember the words, and we could learn the worship, and so we would just be all, like, and none of us girls can sing really great, and so I'm sure that our house was not filled with lovely noise, but it was absolutely beautiful to just be able to submerse ourselves, like, in the presence of God, you know, in the middle of the mundane, in the middle of work, in the middle of life, in the middle of just doing stuff, you know. And some of my my favorite times was sitting out. Um, I was I was expected to work, so I was not like most of my weekends growing up was helping my dad build the house, and so we were putting electricity and we were hanging sheetrock and like holding it above the, our heads for hours and hours and hours or you know, as long as it took to screw it in, but it felt like hours. And, you know, and we were working with him. But what, one of the things that we found with my dad was that he worked, when he worked, he was talking. And he would begin to talk about what God was doing. He would begin to talk about the things he'd read in the Bible that day. And he would share his heart and he would ask me questions. And we would have these really long, deep conversations about the Lord you know, while we were working. These are, these are beautiful memories. And like, these are things that have changed me. You know, they're, they are things that actually caused me to look for things like that in my husband. I wanted to marry somebody who loved the Lord, like I saw displayed in both of my parents. Like there were so many days I would come home and like my mom would be like, or I would get up probably usually in the morning and I would, my mom would be out there and she would be reading the word of God. She'd have a devotional next to her and she would be processing in that. And then she would drop me off at school and on the way to school, we would talk about the Lord. We would talk about like what God was doing. She would process my day with me. She would always point me back to Jesus. There was, there was such, like it was normal. It was normal for me to go to God for everything. It was normal for me to feel the presence of God come into my home. It was normal for me to, um, to understand that God loved me and that I could go to him for everything. Does that make sense? But my parents were first-generation Christians. And specifically, my father grew up in one of the worst homes I've ever heard of. He didn't come by that normally. That wasn't his culture. He ran away from his home when he was about, I think he was in eighth grade, because he had gotten tired of constantly moving. He had moved to like seven or eight um, schools by, the, by semester in one, in one semester, you know, and his, his life was just in turmoil. And he, they got married in 1969, and then a month later he got the the um, honor of going and serving our country in the Vietnam War, front lines in the army, on land, in the middle of combat. And he doesn't know the Lord. They come home after two years, right? And they don't know Jesus, and they're trying to figure life out. And the Lord just kept bringing people into their life, and they kept, they end up going to church, and they end up going, my mom said that she actually got saved at a concert. 
I don't remember the guy's name, but she went to a concert, and she said that he, he did the altar call, and my dad got up to go down, and she said that she went kicking and screaming the whole way. <laughs> she was like, but something changed, you know, and that was, that was less than 10 years before, we were, before I was born. You know, and so sometime in the mid of the mid seventies, my parents gave their heart to the Lord, and then you know within within a few years I was born. So by the time I was five, they had been Christians for just around ten years. And when I got to be in high school, I had asked permission to read the letters that my dad sent to my mom when he was in Vietnam, and my mom finally said yes. But what she said, she goes. She goes, I need you to know that we weren't Christian. We didn't know Jesus. She was like, and the things that you're going to read are not going to resemble who I am today. And, and she was like, I just need you to know that. And it was like reading letters from strangers. Because my parents that I knew, the character, the integrity, the, the beauty of my parents who desperately, like deeply loved the Lord. They're not perfect, but they loved the Lord and they were on this journey of a radical lifestyle shift. You know, I was able to look back and to go, those are strangers who are writing those letters. Those aren't people that I know my parents to be. There is nothing similar to my parents than like who they were before Christ to who they are today. And that's the beauty of a transformed person, right? That's the beauty of one generation choosing to say yes to Jesus and then doing the hard work of becoming righteous before him, learning to walk in his ways, you know, that changes a generation. I can't imagine, like my parents sheltered me from most of the things that they had to grow up in. I was raised in a beautiful, very naive very, very naive home. You know, I, I'm, I, I was out with my daughter the other day, and, and we were smelling somebody who smelled a little bit like a skunk, and I'm like, that person smells funny, you know, and Eden's like, mom, that's pot, and I'm like, what? No, people don't do that. Like, she, you know, and I'm like, like, I, I was raised because my parents made a decision, and then from that decision in the 70s, they made that decision every single day. And they worked on themselves and they changed and they let God come in and completely change them. I was able to be raised in a place where I, like, I loved the Lord from the time I was little and I knew that God loved me. Does that make sense? The, the daily disciplines of our life are critical. They're not just critical for us. They're critical for the people who are surrounded by us. You know, and, and it's one of those things that we have to keep that in perspective because I'm not just living my life for me. I'm, everything that I do affects people around me. You know, and I want, like, we were able to raise our children. Our children are now third-generation Christians, and my, my sister's kids, they love Jesus, you know, and they're making godly decisions, and and it's one of those things where like, I can look back and go, that's laid up to my parents' account. My parents made a decision and then worked like so incredibly hard that by 10 years, they were completely different people. Different friends, different community. Like, they, they changed everything in their life so that they could follow the one. 
They died to themselves every single day, and they still are still changing, still growing in the Lord, still making changes. And, and I just, like, I, I feel like I want to encourage us today to take a minute and to ponder where we're at today, not to bring shame, but to say that it, to put yourself as a stop point. This is the day that from here on out, things are going to start looking different and intentionally begin to shift. Now, I'm going to read, I'm going to tie these points together, I promise, but I'm going to read out of Matthew. Um, But before I do, before we start reading this, I want to kind of give you a little bit of an understanding of what was happening um, before Jesus was born, okay? So I'm not going to get into a lot of details, but between the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, and the book of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament, there's about a 400-year gap, and they call it, the scholars call it, um, a prophetic silence. It was a 400 years where, um, this is what it says, in which there's no record of God speaking to man. Um, So that's 400 years. To give you a little bit of reference on time, the United States is less than 250 years old. Okay? So those are generation after generation after generation after generation lived and died without hearing God speak. And all they had to go off of was the old words. But they had not heard God and his, their grandparents hadn't heard God and their grandparents hadn't heard God speak. There was no prophet to go to. There was nobody to reach into heaven and to pull heaven down. There was silence. Okay, so, so you have... You have we're going to talk about Joseph today. And you have a man who was born after 400 years of silence. He didn't hear God speak. His parents didn't hear God speak. His parents didn't hear God. Does that make sense? Like you're talking generations. I, I think I was reading, it was like 12, 12 family units, like 12 parents sets or something like that would have filled the gap of 400 years. That's a lot. That is, like, I grew up listening to God talk to, to us and having, you know, like, feeling his presence and knowing he was there. And Joseph was raised where the presence of God and his voice were silent. Okay? That's a really important thing to keep in mind as we read this. And I also want to, to tell you this. Matthew, the book of Matthew, Matthew wrote the book that's named after him, to Jews as a Jew. And his whole purpose was to present Jesus as the king of the Jews, okay? So he is actually giving a documentation of his life. He is not telling the stories as much as he is documenting the events that happened. And so they read a little bit dry. And because we know the stories, we often don't stop to pause and to actually process what the words mean. Because it's like we read it and it just seems like, okay, this just goes on. And then most of us know the stories as like of Jesus's birth as told from Luke. And Luke was actually the, um, his purpose of writing the gospel was he he, um, gave research from his observations and then he researched extensively the life of Jesus, but it was from the perspective of Jesus's humanity. And so he pulls in the, like the storylines and you hear like him talk about Jesus's emotions and he makes, he, he, when he's writing, he portrays Jesus more like 
a human who has ebbs and flows, where Matthew is more like, uh, I'm going to use this as a really bad example, but like an obituary. And I don't mean that he's like saying it's all negative, but I am saying like he gives just like, like he starts off in Matthew and he says, now this is the birth of Jesus Christ. Like he's just going to start telling you the points, like here are the facts of Jesus. So it's factual information, like what we would have in obituary. Somebody was born, and this is how long they lived, and this is where they were born, this is who they were born to, right? And that's how Matthew starts out. Jesus was born to these people. Here's the lineage of Jesus Christ, you know, and it goes through, and it's giving you the facts. So when we're reading through the story of Jesus from Matthew's perspective, you know, we're getting factual information you know, that we often just read it as the facts. Like when we, when we read an obituary, do many of us stop and ponder? Oh, I wonder what this phrase means. Like, I wonder what that person's life was really like. I wonder, you know, like there are times that we maybe do, but most of the time we just read the facts and we're like, okay, now I'm educated on their facts. And we move on. We can sometimes err in doing that when we're reading through Matthew and, and, this, and this section. So I'm going to start reading it and you'll understand what I'm saying. Here we go. It's not very many verses. Now, in the, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, which means engaged, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly, which means he was going to divorce her. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And it says in verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and she shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. And I'm really going to just take a minute and to pause on this simple phrase because it's really the only descriptive that in either like in either Luke or Matthew that we have of Joseph and his character. The fact that he put in something about Joseph's character is something that we need to pay attention to. It wasn't just a fact. It was an important factor. It wouldn't have been placed in there because, to be honest, Matthew missed a lot of important facts when he was retelling this. So there was a reason that he dropped in a phrase about the character of Joseph. It's important, and we need to take a minute and to ponder it. So, so we have that phrase. It says, and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man. I I was looking up what that means. The word righteous, this is from the Thayer's Greek definition. It says, used of him um, whose way of thinking, his way of feeling and acting is wholly conformed to the will of God and who therefore needs no rectification or changes or correction in the heart or life. So his his thinking, his feeling, and his acting, the way that he thinks, feels, and acts was wholly conformed to the will of God in such a way that he doesn't need any, any correction to his heart or to his life. That's a big deal. That's a big word. That's a really deep word. There's something about the fact that Joseph being righteous was really important. 
And I think that this is the part where we kind of go, okay, but we're missing, like, there's nothing else mentioned about it, so why would you take the time to talk about it? Here's the thing. Do you remember how I said there was 400 years of silence? Okay, I also want to make sure that it's very clear in the Old Testament, which Joseph was born into, he, the Holy Spirit didn't live inside of the Jews. So they didn't have the Holy Spirit to commune with. God was silent. So he didn't have the Holy Spirit coming in and giving him grace like he does us to walk in the ways of God. He had himself making a choice every single day, much like us, but without the extra grace factor, having to slog out through 400 years of silence. They didn't live in a beautiful, you know, land where everything was perfect. They actually lived in it, like it was very tumultuous time that they lived in. They were conquered by Rome and it was just, it was messy, right? They were praying for a savior because they were hoping to be saved from Rome. You know, and, and so Joseph was born but chose to live a righteous life. And this is, this is the point where I'm going to tie like the beauty of my parents into and the beauty of people who are first-generation Christians, those of us who have, have had to go from a life of brokenness and into a life of fighting for freedom and fighting for the ways of God and to learn how to change the way that you think completely in everything, right? For those of you who've done that, I want you to see that Joseph lived like he was born into that. He was born into a hard season where there was, where God was there, but he was not speaking and there was no grace that inhabited him to be able to walk in the righteous ways of God, but he did. He made a choice And his choice actually is what allowed God to see him and Mary and to say, I can trust them. I can trust them. Because of Joseph's righteous ways, he knew that when he visited him in a dream, that Joseph would recognize it was God, even though there had been 400 years where God had not spoken. Because let's be honest, you find out she's pregnant you didn't make her pregnant. And then you have a dream that's like, go ahead and get married to her anyway. Everybody that you consult with about this idea is going to look at you and be like, God doesn't speak. He hasn't spoken for 400 years. Why do you think you're special? And Mary was not faithful to you. Okay? That's never happened in all of history that a virgin got pregnant. Like, there's no history of that ever happening. Joseph, you're crazy. Why would God have said he hasn't spoken for 400 years? Like, keep that in mind. He hadn't spoken for 400 years, and suddenly Joseph is faced with a decision, and he has a dream, an encounter with an angel. But because of his day-in and day-out choices that he had made to become holy, righteous, in the will of God, with the way that he thought and the way that he lived and the way that he moved— he was able to hear and to recognize God when he showed up. Mary got the beauty of being visited by an angel, right? Joseph had a dream. Those are subjective. Those are sometimes hard to get past. Those are, you really wanted to get married to her, and so you've conjured up something in your head to make this work, right? You just want to believe her story. Joseph, that's crazy. God hasn't spoken for 400 years, right? 
but it was because he was a righteous man. It was because he had devoted himself to the ways of God that he understood the will of God in his life, and he had, he had slogged it out for however long it was. We don't know how exactly how old he is, but there's a lot of age range variants that scholars have come to the conclusion on. I don't even care. The point is, is that he was supposed to be getting married, and he had spent enough time that God was able to call him a righteous man. And he had devoted himself, whether it was 20 years or 80, he had devoted himself to following after the Lord in such a way that when he had a dream that said, save the life of this little girl, right? That he was able to recognize God. Does that make sense? It's really important because this is our challenge. Like we have, hang on just a second. We have people around. Joseph had, Joseph had, he had a destiny. He had something that he had to do. And honestly, his, what we see in the life of Joseph in the few scriptures that we know about him is that for the first, I'll say, less than 12 years of Jesus' life, Joseph's job was to keep him alive. From the moment of conception, Mary could have been killed. Joseph could have actually ordered that to be done. And then Joseph kept Mary alive by marrying, or Jesus alive by marrying Mary. And then immediately upon birth or within the first year was moved to Egypt because his life was in danger. And then he was moved from, from, from Egypt back in and told again to move somewhere else, to go somewhere else to keep Jesus alive. His goal and his job was to keep Jesus alive. And God never showed up to him in anything more than a dream. And remember, God hadn't spoken to anybody for 400 years. Right? Joseph had to know that he heard God. He had to know the ways of God. He had to understand the will of God to be able to do this big, uh, weighty, um, I don't know, like task that God gave him. But he had to know it. His righteousness was important. And I want to tell you guys, we have the same way, like my dad's life, like my life isn't like Jesus. I am not Jesus. I'm not even close to him. I was born into sin, right? Like, (laughs) but here's the thing, like my dad's choices, my parents' choices changed the course of my history. Joseph, his choices changed the course of all of our histories, right? But all of us have that ability, not with just our kids, but with the people around us. Our choices today and our willingness to step into the right ways of God and to make him fully Lord of our life, every single little choice matters because it builds up a place where God can trust us. And then he gives us another task. Does that make sense? Like, I, I think I, think I want to say it like this. Our, our integrity matters. Joseph's integrity was what led him to, to be trustworthy by God, to help carry the Savior of the universe for us into the world. His integrity while it's not mentioned much and it's not like talked about and the story isn't there, it mattered enough for it to be put in because 
he wouldn't have had the ability to understand that it was God if he was not living with God. Right? We have to be able to understand that it's God when he's asking us to do weird things. What he asked Joseph to do was completely outside of the culture. It was outside of the law. It was outside of of the things that he should have done. And yet he knew that it was God so much so that he risked his entire life and his reputation to step into something that changed the course of their history. They were ne- their family was never the same. They were never normal after that. They were marked and it was different. They had to run for their life, right? There was, there was trauma built into their story. And, and Joseph's decisions every single day of his life to live wholly conformed to the will of God made a difference. And it got him to the point where he was able to be the father of the Savior of the universe. It's a big deal, you know? And we don't get that privilege, and I'm actually thankful for that. I don't want to have that responsibility, to be honest, you know? But here's the thing, like, I have a deep responsibility to steward my life in a way that when I'm surrounded by my children, that they can grow up and say, I saw my parents living in integrity and the same people that they were on the stage of the church is the same people they were at home. And they were the same people that they were when they were around their family. And they were the same people who loved the Lord in every circumstance. And when hard stuff came, I saw their steadiness. And when, when scary stuff came, I saw them being steady. And when like life asked them to do, or God asked them to do something that seemed outside of the box of normal, they were willing to step out because they had such a value for who God was that they were willing to say yes at the risk of everything. That's who I want to be, but that's who God's called each one of us to do. This is how we change the world, right? This is what Christianity is. It isn't living nice, beautiful lives that we just kind of like, everything is perfect and beautiful. It's It's living real and raw before people, but before the Lord and allowing our stuff to fall out and to fall off of us and to step into righteousness every day. You know, and I would challenge us, like, I don't want to be the same person I was 10 years ago. Right? I don't want to be the same person I was yesterday. I want to grow. I want to grow into the likeness of Christ. I want to be able to to match the description of of righteous. To have my ways, like my thinking, my feeling, and my acting to be wholly conformed to the will of God. Somebody in whom no changes or corrections need to happen in the way that I think or in my heart or in my life. That's my goal. That's what we're going after, is to live in a way that God would, if he was still writing the Bible, right? If the book of Acts continued, right? And it was written of me, I would want it to be something like that, where I was, I was righteous. Like, you look at the Old Testament, and he talks about the kings, and he talks about how, like, this king was, and I don't even know which kings they were, but it was like, this king was, was, he loved the Lord and he did these good things, but he had these bad things that happened to him. And he didn't do these things right. Like he messed up or, or he was evil in the sight of God, you know, and 
he died, right? Like it was those kinds of stories. But the, the beginning talking about every single king throughout the Old Testament, it shows like this is who he was and this was how he, he responded to the heart of God, both his failings and, and his beauty, right? And of David, it says he was, a, he was a man after God's own heart. And of like King Josiah, I know that it says that he was a man who had the, like a heart after his father David, like, so he loved the Lord, you know, but so many times in the Old Testament, it would say, like, he did many things that were good in the sight of God, but he failed to do these things, right? It was like he didn't finish. He didn't complete it. He didn't have a heart that was wholly devoted to God because he was missing these areas. He never, he never actually was willing to go after these parts of, their li- of his life. I don't want that to be said of me. I want the Lord to be able to look at me and to say, as far as it depended upon you, you lived a righteous life. And when I came in and I brought correction, you changed and you adjusted. Because it's not just about me. My life matters to different people, right? And the way that I touch each of your lives matters because you gained something from me. You know, Jesus, like Joseph left a mark on Jesus, Right? You know, you think about like Anna. Anna's mentioned in, um, she's the one who, who prayed a blessing over Jesus in the, in the temple and he was eight days old. Her life mattered. Her devotion to the Lord, it mattered. And there's not stories about who she was, but she was faithful in the temple every day, pouring her life out. And she got to meet Jesus and to prophesy over him. Can I just tell you that sometimes giving a prophetic word to something changes their life? And I need to be able to be walking with the Lord in a way that I hear his voice. And even if it sounds weird, I'm still willing to step into it. Because when I meet you with the word of a God and it can change your life, it might save a life, right? It might change the direction of somebody's life. But it happens because I'm walking with him and I'm, and I'm walking towards righteousness. I'm not asking us to be perfect. I'm asking us to be real and to move into a place of integrity. Integrity is, you know, like who I am when nobody is looking is the same person as who I am in front of people, right? When we can walk in a place of integrity, we're going to be walking in righteousness. We're going to be walking in the ways of God, and then he begins to use us. So I think I'm going to end with this, with this question. Is it worth it to shift to become more like Christ? Is it worth it to become more, like to continue the walk of righteousness? It's a journey. And the journey, I mean, to be honest, guys, the journey looks like this, right? Like our walk of righteousness isn't just all perfect. We don't just make every step perfect. We, we hear God, we make a few adjustments, and then we fall on our face. We wallow in it for a minute, right? And then we, we get up, we dust ourselves off, and we take a few more steps, and we, we go a little higher that time, and then we fall again, and we get back up, right? This is what it looks like, but there's repentance every time we fall. There should be. Every time we fall, we go, oh God, I'm so sorry. Like, I triggered again. I'm so sorry. Would you help me break that trigger? Like, and we, and we shift, and we grow, and every time, that's what it looks like to walk in righteousness. It's not, it's not being perfect, It's being completely dependent. 
That's the difference. It's not perfection. It's dependence. It's dependence on his voice. And it's dependence on him and recognizing that we don't get there without him. And so we walk in this way of going, God, I want to hear your voice. And I'm adjusting my life to meet your will so that I know what you're doing. And then when you speak to me, I am willing to risk everything to share it with the person that you're speaking to me about. Or I'm willing to do the thing that you've asked me to. Because my actions matter. They change the world, right? They change the world. You know, Harvest is a little tiny church in the middle of Missouri, in the middle of the United States, in the middle of, right, the world. Like, when you think about it, it's not visible on Google Maps if you zoom out really far, right? And yet we have sent people all over the world, right? They share the gospel all over the world. And every place that people go from Harvest matters to the people that they reach, right? Our little lives make a difference. They make a difference in the way that we live and in the way that we train our kids to, to live. And, and I would just say this, like, I don't know if Joseph, you know, if his parents loved the Lord. I don't know if they walked in his ways. I don't know how Joseph came to being such a devout and righteous man. You know, maybe he was like my dad who had to learn how to do that from the, from the ground up, from scratch. You know, not having any sort of um, person that he could look at in his family that says they looked like Jesus. Instead, he was raised with nobody looking like Jesus, and he had to figure out what Jesus looked like. Maybe Joseph was like that. Maybe he was raised by great devout believers like I was, who knew who God was and trained him up in the ways that he should go. I don't know. But what I do know is this. We can all start with where we're at today. And we begin to shift and we begin to walk in his right ways and we begin to change things and we listen. And when God speaks to us, we do what he asks us to, even if it's weird or awkward or it feels outside of our comfort zone, right? We want to be radically dependent on him and radically obedient, right? Okay, yeah, Jesus, we just... Yeah, we thank you that the battles that were fought before us, like the battles that my parents fought to win, were not battles that I had to do. I didn't have to fight his battles. I, my parents fought those battles and won so that I could walk in the victory, Jesus. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the history of our generations, good or bad, Jesus. Yeah, we thank you that you have, give, you have shown up faithful. God, and we thank you that you have put the Holy Spirit. We're not in the place that Joseph was. You're speaking today. And your, your Holy Spirit lives in us as believers. And you're, you're talking to us. And you're guiding us. And you're directing us. And your grace empowers us to walk in the right ways of God. We can walk in righteousness because you live in us. And you crave righteousness. And so you're guiding us and directing us to righteousness. It's easy for us to walk in your ways because of somebody like Joseph who said yes to you. But it wasn't easy for him. And it changed his world. And it changed his life. But because of him, we get to, we get to experience you, Jesus. We get to have your presence fill us, God. God, we're so grateful for people like him who learned how to walk in the right ways of God. 
and who changed the course of history because of it. God, we want to be people who you look at and you call righteous. Whose thoughts and actions and our lives are completely and wholly in the will of God. God, would you make us like that today? Yeah, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to contact us or would like more information about our church or additional podcasts or resources, please visit us online at harvestwarrensburg.com. We hope to see you soon.